Well, greetings to all of you and to those of you out in uh, cyberland, whatever we want to call it, all the congregations around the world that are uh, tuning in. I know that we don't have everybody, but we certainly have a, a large number, and uh, we certainly send greetings to all of you. It's really wonderful here to see a, a full auditorium and to hear special music like that. I always hate following something like that. Uh, it's either... You know, at the feast, it seems like it's following kids or following something spectacular like that. I don't know how that came across uh, out in other locations, but it was just absolutely spectacular here. And very much appreciate the work by the choir and all the uh, people playing the instruments and Mr. McNair leading that, that particular uh, piece. Very beautiful. As we have heard a number of times over the last couple of days in the seminars that we had yesterday, the Bible study last night, uh, the sermonette even uh, today, uh, we live in a different world, a very difficult world, a world that is very challenging. Now, we're not the first generation to have a challenge. When we think back on, I, I think back on my parents' generation, uh, they came through the Great Depression that affected certainly this country and other countries around the world. Uh, they experienced, as so many countries in this world, World War II. Uh, that was a challenge. And so many of our fathers, our uncles, for some of you who are older, perhaps brothers, as well as perhaps sisters, were off someplace in another part of the world, either fighting or caring for those who were fighting. But it was an awful time that killed literally millions of people. Statistics, I, I've heard as low as 40 million, size 70 million. We've not faced something like that in our world today. But there is a challenge for each and every one of us, and many of our young people are facing a challenge that is uh, in some ways more intense than the challenge that others have had. It's not uh, carrying a gun or rifle someplace a uh, terrible choice that some people had to make. But nevertheless, we face a challenge of the world in which we live. We're living in a consumer society. In our Western world, we have everything. We have so much in our Western world. And that's a challenge, to be able to handle it and not allow our eyes to get turned away. There are so many distractions electronically. It used to be television. Now it's television and all the other stuff on the Internet. Uh, as a broad category, our smartphones, which we have before us. We have to be careful because if we say the wrong thing, which could be anything, all of a sudden it starts talking back to us because it's listening in on our conversation. But it's always so handy because I can just ask a question and there it is. At least the questions that we can answer, the purpose of life, as we heard last night, uh, it doesn't have the ability to answer that particular question. But we love those things, and yet they are a challenge to us. We live in a world that is filled with pornography. It abounds on the Internet. That's something that when I was growing up, I didn't have to worry about. Uh, the magazines that you weren't supposed to look at were behind the counter, and they, you couldn't see the covers of them. And... For most of us, well, we weren't old enough, I guess. I th guess you had to be a certain age to be able to buy those magazines. Uh, but we probably would have been too embarrassed, most of us. But if somebody else got one, that might be something. But 
I remember I didn't see my first Playboy magazine till I was at Ventura College and somebody had one. And, uh, you know, then there was uh, other things that there was, I think, Hustler magazine. I didn't see. My wife showed that to me many years later. We were, <laughs> you know. Well, we had a, a duplex and we had a renter. And he had put them up on the air conditioning system. And she and another lady found them. And I thought, how disgusting this is. I, I, I wondered why anybody was enamored by that. But, you know, today a kid just goes out on his computer. I, I remember one time I was looking for a, a short story uh, that I'd read in uh, Bill Bennett's Book of Virtues. It was about a Dutch couple. And I was at camp, and I, I, I didn't have my book with me, but I wanted to read that, and so I, I just looked up on the Internet, Dutch couple. You don't want to do that. <laughs> it wasn't what I was looking for. But you don't have to look for anything. It comes to you. And if you ever click on some of that stuff, then it comes over and over again. So I've heard. I haven't clicked on that stuff, but nevertheless, uh, it comes to you. That's a challenge to our young people because a young fellow may be interested in that sort of thing. It may be just tantalizing, interesting. He's curious. And then before you know it, he's addicted to pornography. And we have young people from time to time that are brave enough and courageous enough to come and say to their minister, I've got a problem, and I don't know what to do about it. We live in a world with vaping. And literally millions, millions of young people in this country are addicted to nicotine because they wanted strawberry-flavored whatever it was, vape, and they didn't realize it was laced with nicotine. And now they have a choice to overcome it, which is not easy, or spend the rest of their lives paying some executive someplace have figured out that I can take this young person as a sucker. It's a very dangerous world, very different world. For every one of us, though, from the time that Adam and Eve first came on the earth until we're created, until now, it really comes down to two choices. Mr. Armstrong called them the two trees. We can choose the tree of life, or we can choose the tree that makes us think that we're in charge of things, but it brings curses and deaths. That's the choice that we really have. It doesn't matter what, how we want to boil it out, that's how it comes down. Today I want to emphasize that we are choosing between those two options. Every minute of every day, through the way that we think, and that reflects on what we value and how we act, the choices that we make, how we think, and what is important to us. And that comes out in the way that we act and the things that we do. Let's turn over to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and let's look at some of the heroes that we look to. We often read about these individuals. They are inspiring uh, stories. It, it lists them here, but if we go back into the Old Testament, most of the time in the Old Testament, I guess uh, almost all the time in Hebrews 11, we go to the Old Testament and we read those stories, and everybody loves a story, but these were true 
stories. These were things that happened. And here in verse 7, we'll just read a few of them very quickly. It says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet, yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, notice it says that he was moved, divinely warned by things not yet seen. Last night in the Bible study, uh, Mr. Ames was talking about exercising vision. And he said, vision is the reality of God's revelation. The reality of God's revelation. Now, Noah saw that revelation from God as a reality, as something that was going to happen. And when you think about it, what, would have, what must it have been like for Noah to go out and start building an ark? Uh, a famous comedian who has been disgraced in more recent years had a story about Noah hearing this voice, you know, Noah, build an ark. <laughs> who is that up there? And uh, is there some other way? And, and it's it quite a, a comedy routine. But think about it. To go out and build a, a boat, a, a you know, a huge boat. How many of you have been to the uh, that uh, Creation Museum where they have Noah's Ark? Okay, a number of you have. Uh, I've not been there, but I've seen pictures of it. This was a huge undertaking that took decades to build. What must it have been like to be Noah, to be Noah's son or Noah's wife, with all the ridicule and all the things that were coming? Do you realize that, well, we might have our struggles at school or on the job because we don't go along with something? The day is coming when we are going to be ridiculed. We are going to be made fun of. And a whole lot worse. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm not saying that to make you want to give up. But I hope that we have the courage to be able to deal with that. Wives enduring as their husbands are dealt with in a not very nice way. Perhaps thrown into prison. Perhaps beat up. Perhaps fired being shunned by neighbors. All these things, no doubt, are on the horizon. And so Noah was willing to build that ark over a period of decades because he had vision. He exercised vision. He could see what was coming. And it wasn't something that he could go out and today do it today and then forget it. You know, it's just a little boat that he could build in a, in a few hours or whatever, use some duct tape and all their stuff, and then, you know, his neighbors, uh, maybe, what are, you, what are you doing? Well, don't worry about it. I'm going fishing. Uh, this is something that he could not hide. It could not be hidden from all of his neighbors. What a decision that must have been for him to do that. Let's notice verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. You talk about a choice to make. You have a, a command from God, obviously someone who had spoken to you before. This wasn't a stranger for him. 
but to take out his son that he'd waited so many years for and had watched grow up to a certain degree. Some say about 13 or 14, some say 30 or 33, the age of uh, Christ when he was offered up because it was a type of that. But whatever his age was, he was more than just a little infant. And so this was someone that that he had grown to love. And he was to take him out and sacrifice him. Now you talk about a heavy decision, a difficult choice to make. You and I haven't faced anything like that. That was something that it wasn't just watching his son be killed, but he was supposed to kill him. And, of course, God stopped him from that only after God knew what he would do. Notice over in verse 35. It says, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. I've always thought about that, sawn in two. I can't imagine anything worse than that. Having your head cut off with a guillotine would be pretty quick. Sawn in two? Another matter. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. The world is not worthy of those individuals who are willing to make those decisions to obey God rather than man. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They did not receive it in this life. You talk about vision. They were looking beyond. They recognized that this life is temporary. It is a time that God is giving us to show him what we really value in life, what we really want. Do we want to live forever? Or do we want to go on a roller coaster ride for a very short period of time and then lose out on eternity? You know, when we think of it, we all agree that these were heavy decisions that these individuals had to make, men and women alike. These were heavy decisions. These were not easy. But let's look at several other examples from this same faith chapter. Let's go back to verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead still speaks. Now, think about Abel. Abel didn't build an ark, did he? Abel didn't go out and, and uh, you know, slay a, 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 a giant. Uh, he didn't do some of the, the more difficult things that we normally think of. He just lived a righteous life. Now, his offering that he made to God uh, had to do with his... God saw the righteousness, the, the right behavior, the right attitude and everything. But think about it. This just describes a man who is living... A righteous life, what you and I are required to do. To live according to the law of God. To put God first in our life. But he had a brother that didn't live that way. 
and his brother killed him. But why do we read of him? Because he did what was right. When you look at all these people here, they made decisions. And for Abel, it was a daily decision. It wasn't a single act. It was a daily decision that culminated in something that his brother couldn't stand anymore. His brother wanted to deal with the problem. Instead of looking to himself as a sinner, he decided to get rid of the one that was making him feel guilty because of his lifestyle. Now, when we live a righteous life, when you go to school, you young people, and you're living different, you're not going to the football game on Friday night. You're not keeping Christmas. You're not doing some of these other things. People don't like it. And some of you know that because some of you have experienced that. Well, welcome to the world. You can go along with the crowd and we'll never read of you in Scripture. Or you can do the right thing and we might read of you someday in a very positive light like with Abel, that he is still speaking to us because of what happened to him. He is an example for all the rest of us. And then you can live for all of eternity. And all those people who are putting you down, all those people who didn't like you, where will they be at that time? Well, they'll be waiting a thousand years to have their chance, or they won't be there at all. But they'll have to then make the right decision at some point in time. Let's take a look at uh, verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He pleased God. Now, when everybody else was living eight and 900 years, he lived, what, 360, 365, you can look it up. A little bit more than a third of the lifespan of others, but not a lot more. He was a young man when he died. And some have speculated that uh, uh, the particular individual uh, back there in the Old Testament may have killed him. Because he brags about if Cain killed someone, then uh, what about me? I think Lamech uh, was the one. So it may be that when it says it should not see death... We have a L-series letter on that, explains that. Uh, yes, he died because all, it says all these died not having received the promise. That's including him. But he would not see the second death, that he would live forever. And God took him out of there. He said, this is enough. You've been living this way of life. The world's been pushing against you for 360-some-odd years. It's enough. I know which way you'll go. And... I'll put you to sleep or allow you to go to sleep, and the next instant of your consciousness will be in the resurrection for eternal life. That is so comforting to me to know that when we die, that that next instant, it's, it's not that we're going to heaven right then, we understand that, but consciousness from, from this point to this point is it's an instant. And next thing we know... We go, we go to sleep, next thing we know, we're waking up in the resurrection. What a wonderful gift that is. But notice that he just lived, he pleased God. So he did, he didn't build an ark. 
He didn't lead people out of Egypt. He didn't do all the other things that we read of there amongst the, the people of God. Again, he didn't kill a, a giant. All he did was please God. I say all he did. But that meant that every day when he got up, he had to choose a different way of life than all of those people that would eventually drown in a flood. He chose a different way of life. He had vision, as we heard last night. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, we've already read about Abraham offering his son, but this was the first challenge that he had, or at least the first one that we read of. God said, I want you to get out of your country and go someplace. You don't know where you're going, but I'm, I'll lead you there. I want you to move. Boy, is that uh, a struggle for some people. Some people just don't want to ever move. And sometimes we have to move, don't we? I... Um, I grew up in a military family. I was playing with somebody, I don't know, yesterday or this morning. Uh, people ask, where are you from? And that's always been a hard question for me to answer. So I give them the short answer. I was born in Sacramento, California, moved to Ogden, Utah, then down to Edwards Air Force Base, called Murdoch at the time, back to Sacramento, up to Alaska, down to San Antonio, Texas, to Colorado, to South Dakota, two places in California, to England, and back to California, and I was still 14. <laughs> you know, the hardest part was probably for my mother, because she was always moving. She was a piano teacher, and so she, you know, the piano had to go too. It's really not as bad as that sounds. It's, it's really uh, because some of those places were very short periods of time. And we had some or two or three years where we stayed someplace. But nevertheless, for our wives, that's, that's tough because they like to nest, don't they? Don't you, ladies? You like nesting. You like to fix it up, and then all of a sudden you've got to move again. Our minister's wives have to do that too, don't they? They have to sometimes move. It's not always much fun. And sometimes we get transferred where we don't want to go. All the time I grew up, I don't know that my father had much choice. At least I never perceived that that was a choice. Certainly it was not a family discussion of where, where do you kids want to go. It was just, well, we're, we're moving again. And uh, that's the way it is. Abraham made a choice. The choice to obey God. That's the same choice you have whether you want to vape or not vape. The cha same choice whether to keep the Sabbath or not to keep the Sabbath. Do we obey God or we not? Do we take from the tree of life or do we go from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, choosing for ourselves what we want to do, our own self-will? In Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, Deuteronomy 30, this is a passage of Scripture that we often read, but sometimes we don't read the whole context of it. 
In verse 11 it says, For this command which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. Notice that. He said, I'm giving you a commandment today. It's not mysterious. It's not far off. This is not something that you have to climb a mountain to find what God's will is. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will descend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? You know, God's command is clear. I don't think there's anybody in this room who really doesn't know what God expects of us in a general sense. Obviously, some more than others. But even our young people, they know about the Sabbath, they know about the holy days, they know about tithing, they know about clean and unclean meats. They really, I think, know that they ought not vape, okay? They, they know that they shouldn't be sexting, where they're sending pictures back and forth of themselves in compromising positions, or somebody's asking them to send a picture in some compromising position. We, we know those things are things that we should not do. Is there anybody ignorant of that? I don't think so. So it's a choice. Who are we going to obey? Which way are we going to go? He says it's not a hard choice there. It's not beyond the sea. It's not up in heaven someplace. Verse 14, but the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart. You may do it. It's there. You know within you what is right and what is wrong. See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil, and that I commissioned you or command you today to love the eternal your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. Commandments, statutes, and judgments. Wow. He wants us to do all those things. That you may live and multiply God wants us to live. He wants us to get married and have children. That's kind of implied there, the marriage part of it. In today's world, we think we don't have to wait to get married. I mean, it's, what's a piece of paper? You hear people say that sometimes. Well, there are old books written on the subject, but that paper means a lot. Formalizing that relationship means a great deal in terms of success of that relationship. He says, but it is in your heart to turn away, uh, well, let's see, verse 15. I've set before you life and, uh, and good, death and evil. And then I command you today, love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, etc. Verse 17. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, your heart turns away. Remember what Mr. Smith said? Are you willing to believe? Are you willing to believe? You know, some people grow up in the church, and sadly, they're not willing to believe. They're, they're not willing to prove it to themselves. And adults, the same thing. It's not just young people. It's people in general. They come across the truth. They stumble across the truth. Are they, are they willing to go along with it, or are they going to fight against it and not willing to believe? That God does exist and that he has a reward for us if we obey him. But on the other hand, as we read here, there are curses and there's death on the other hand. 
If your heart turns away so that you are not, uh, that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, other gods can be anything of this world, anything you put before the true God. In other words, it doesn't matter whether it's vaping, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, foul language, it doesn't matter whether it's pornography, all of that is against God. And so that becomes a God to you because you're saying that's more important than God. And, and the biggest God of all is right here, the self. When they chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they said, we want to decide what's right and what is wrong. We don't want God telling us what to do. We want to decide for ourselves. That's nothing more than a false God. It's idolatry. I announce to you today, verse 18, that you shall surely perish if you choose that wrong tree. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. So he said, I call heaven and earth, verse 19, uh, perhaps a memorization scripture for you. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. God wants us to choose life. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless me. He wants everything that is good for you and me. And you know, there, there's nothing more beautiful than to see young people come into this world and, and grow up and, and mature and fall in love with someone of the opposite sex. Okay? And... Do it the right way, wait till they're married, and then get married and have children and a strong family relationship. There's hardly anything more beautiful than that. It's a wonderful thing. But while it happens in the church, and it happens in the world too, in other churches especially, where people at least go to church and have some concept of what is right and wrong, uh, it's too rare, isn't it? And yet, can you imagine in the world tomorrow, during the millennium, when that is going to be the way for everyone? Part of the problem we have is that so many of us come out of damaged homes, and so we are damaged, and then we marry somebody else that's got their problems, and then we don't know how to work through those problems, and then it just perpetuates the cycle, the family. As we heard in one of the seminars, the family. Dr. Reneal talking about that as being one of the pillars of, of civilization is being destroyed. And yet we have the opportunity to do the right way. And when we do, even if we come out of a bad relationship, a bad home life, we have the opportunity to start afresh and to do it the right way. He says that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life, God is our life, and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord your God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what God wants of us. That's what he wants of you. He wants you to be happy. If you're a young person, God isn't against you. I know it's so easy to think that, well, God wants to keep me from all this fun. That fun is only fun for a while. Notice what it says over in Hebrews 11 again. Go back to Hebrews 11 um, and, and verse, let's pick up in verse 26, because this is talking about uh, Moses. I'm sorry, let me get it right, the right chapter here. 
Yeah, verse 26 of Hebrews 11. It says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. He had vision. And the previous verse in verse 20, I'd like to read that from uh, oh, the old King James. I guess I didn't write that down. But anyway, he, uh, I'll just read it here in the new King James. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin or the pleasures of sin for a season. Pleasure of sin for a season. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you that sin can be enjoyable for a while. For a while. It's not always as pleasurable as people think it is, but it's the next day. It's the next year. Someplace down the road. With such a stark choice between blessings and life or cursings and death, with such a stark choice, why would anyone choose the wrong way, the wrong tree? If you had two glasses of water, one is pure, clean water, and the other one has some poison in it, and you knew which one it was, why would anybody choose the wrong the wrong one, the one that's going to make you sick and feel awful and then die. We think, well, why would anybody choose that? Well, part of the reason is found over in Ecclesiastes. In the eighth chapter, Ecclesiastes 8, I have a translator here in the Spanish, I just cause fits for because I just got off my notes and got ahead so apologize but Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11 Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11 says because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil this is the problem that sometimes we think that we get away with it, don't we? We do something and all the bad things that mom and dad and the ministry say is, are going to happen didn't happen. We pick up a, a joint of marijuana and smoke it and we didn't go nuts. We, uh, we weren't crazy. We didn't get in a car accident. We didn't do anything all that bad. So it can't be all that bad. So the problem is that you pick up another one and another one and another one. And the end result is, is not good. Maybe you lose all ambition to do anything. Maybe you happen to be one of those one in seven or whatever the, the statistic is that it affects people who are maybe somewhat predisposed to schizophrenia, and it happens to you. It's enough just to kick you into that, which otherwise maybe not. You know, sin might be pleasurable, but it's pleasurable for a season. As it says there in, in Hebrews 11:25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures for, for a season. For a season. There's a period of time. 
Notice over in Ecclesiastes, the 8th chapter, here we are anyway, Ecclesiastes 8, verses 12 and 13. It says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days uh, are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. It's going to be well with those who fear God, who, who trust in God. You know, in order to make the right choice, uh, it's important that we, we have the right foundation. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter again, 11th chapter, I'm sorry, verse 6, Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We cannot please God without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we must believe that God exists, that's the first thing, and that God will reward those who diligently seek him. Now, we had a presentation yesterday morning by Mr. Smith about proving that God exists. And I can't help but to throw in a few more things. I just, I, I just love this topic. Like Mr. Smith and some of the rest of us, we, we just love to prove that God exists. And if you're willing to look at the evidence, I think that you'll find that there's really only one conclusion you can make. Um, there's a, a, a book. If I were to recommend one book outside of our own publications that I would recommend for someone to read, it, it's a book that is scientific enough that has moved other scientists to accept intelligence for life who are former evolutionists, as well as numerous other people. But it's easy enough for the average person to generally understand it. There are, there are a few chapters there where it's a little bit more difficult to understand, but for the most part, any of you could understand it. Any intelligent high school student, I guarantee, should be able to understand these things that you read in it. It's by Michael, uh, Michael Denton. It's called Evolution of Theory and Crisis. Now, I wouldn't want you to pick up the one, the second one he wrote, which was a couple decades later, which is evolution still a theory in crisis. Both Mr. Smith and I have looked at that, and both of us find that it's pretty heavy. But the original one, which is back about 1989 or something, so it may seem like an old book, but it's just as up-to-date today as, as, as ever. If anything, there's more proof today. But... It's Evolution, A Theory in Crisis by Michael Denton. And he makes this statement. I, there, there's so many quotes I'd love to read from it, but uh, we don't have time for it all. But he makes this statement. He says, Molecular biology has shown that even the simplest of all living systems on Earth today, bacterial cells. Now, you always hear about a simple cell. And that's one of the greatest myths there ever was. There is no such thing as a simple cell. But if we were to take the most simple, a bacterial cell, they are exceedingly complex objects. Although the tiniest bacterial cells are incredibly small, and he gives the actual size, which is kind of meaningless to some of us, except to know that it's really teeny tiny. Uh, each is, in effect, a veritable micro-miniaturized factory containing thousands 
of exquisitely designed pieces of intricate molecular machinery. We're talking about proteins making machines. And those who were here for the presentation yesterday morning saw on the screens uh, how DNA is divided into two strands so that you replicate it. And there's one of those molecular machines that spins as fast as a jet engine, and it just separates them. And then others are copying, and others are working to make sure that uh, you've got, they've got proofreading and all this type of thing. And when you look at all these thousands of proteins and machines, it's not just a mitochondria and, and this and that and a couple other things, a nucleus and the DNA. There are thousands of things within the cell that are all working together in harmony. And every cell in your body, this is going on. And they're going on at lightning speed. It says it's a miniaturized or micro-miniaturized uh, micro factory containing thousands of exquisitely designed pieces of intricate molecular machinery. Far more complicated than any machine built by man and absolutely without parallel in the non-living world. Without parallel. Now, how did this come about? How did this machinery come about? I'd like to talk a little bit about amino acids, okay? We'll get a little technical here. Some of you have heard this before. Now's the time to take a nap. If you've heard it before and, you, and you, you, you're kind of tired, if you haven't heard it before, okay. But some of you, this you know. Uh, let's just take a look at uh, uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews 1. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I just read a sentence, and as far as I know, that's the only place in the Bible that that sentence is found. But that sentence is made up of letters, 26 letters. It's made up of spaces between words. Now, if you were to throw all the letters of the alphabet into a bag and start pulling them out, what do you think the chances are of getting that sentence? What are the chances of just pulling out by random to get therefore out of 26 letters? Maybe having them all on a wheel and spinning the wheel, and what's the chance of that coming up? You get the first letter, then the next one, the next one. In other words, you can't just throw letters together and have a meaningful sentence a grammatically correct sentence. And you cannot take amino acids and just throw them together in any kind of configuration. Back in 1952, I believe was, or 53, Stanley Miller and Harold Ciure did an experiment, and the headlines were that, you know, we've created life. We've been able to create life in a test tube. Well, that wasn't exactly so. What they did is they took methane and various other gases and minerals and different things, and they put them into a contraption and heated it up and sent electrical sparks to it. And then they analyzed it, and they found that it had created some amino acids. Not all 20 amino acids, which are necessary for life, but it, it, it created a few amino acids. Now, amino acids aren't alive, but they are the building blocks of sentences 
that are used then are sentences that make proteins. Because what you have to do is string together amino acids in a meaningful sequence, just like this sentence I read to you. Now, there was a little bit of a problem there. Uh, all amino acids that we have are left-handed to make up our proteins. They're left-handed. But when they did the experiment, some were left-handed, some were right-handed, and they didn't even have all of them. And if you throw a right-handed amino acid into the, into the sequence, then the next step, which is to take it to this box that, that folds it into the right shape, it won't work. It simply will not work. Because this string, this sentence, must then be folded into a particular shape to do a certain function. And when that protein is then made, you have to have a kinesin, which is a little truck that carries it to the exact spot in the cell that it belongs. And that truck, there are 40 of them in your cells because each one has a different trailer hitch. And one can't carry everything. Only this one carries this particular product, and this one carries this particular product. And they can only go one way, so when the cell is under construction, which it always is, it's got to find a way around only going one way. It might have to go around the block, you know, a certain way, but it's going to have to find the way, and it somehow it knows where this protein goes. Now, this is happening at lightning speed. For example, your blood is made up of hemoglobin molecules. And a hemoglobin molecule has to go through this process. And there's something called enzymes. We've all heard of enzymes. But an enzyme speeds up a process so that if you were trying to race around the, uh, you know, the Charlotte track here on a tricycle, it would take you a long time to go on a tricycle, wouldn't it? But you add an enzyme, and that's like turning that tricycle into a Ferrari. It goes a whole lot faster, because the tricycle or the rider probably would die by the time he gets to the end. But this happens so fast, and it has to happen fast. Hemoglobin molecules, your body is putting out 100 trillion hemoglobin molecules per second. And one of those videos that Mr. Smith didn't show from Drew Berry brings that out. 100 trillion molecules per second. That's not a whole blood cell, but that's what the blood cells are made up of. What is happening in our body is absolutely incredible. And when it says that no machine that man has ever made is as complicated as the simplest cell, that's not an exaggeration. And there are other individuals who bring that out as well. Now, in order for these proteins that are made into little machines to do certain jobs, in order for them to then produce a, a protein, they need something called DNA. Because DNA is code. It's code. Just like Bill Gates and his people write code, that's what DNA is. It is an instruction manual. 
And it, it goes through this process, and it has to be copied into messenger RNA, and then messenger RNA goes through another thing, and it brings all the amino acids in just exactly the right order, like, like a, a machine. It really looks like a machine in operation. And, and it brings that about. But in order for that to happen, you have to wrap it up in a glad bag. In other words, all these machines have to be in one place. They can't just be scattered through the, the swamp, as, you know, people would say. So what, how did that happen? Well, you read the evolutionary books and it says, well, it's like a, a bubble. It's just a bubble. That's all. Just a bubble. Well, it's a little bit more than a bubble. You see, it's made up of proteins, the, the, the cellular wall. And it's a double wall. And it has pores in it because it has to allow water and nutrients and excrete those things that it doesn't want, the waste products. But in order to get through that pore, it has to go through a policeman. There's a protein there that is guarding, making sure that only what needs to go in goes in and what needs to go out goes out. But otherwise, you know, all the wrong things and it would destroy the cell. So it's got all these pores in this double-walled cellular, you know, the cellular wall. It's made up of proteins. So now you've got everything inside of this cell and it all starts working. And so the DNA is there for the purpose of, of telling the cell how to make a protein. But you know, there's a little bit of a detail here that's a problem. And that is that the DNA can give the instructions, but it can't build the protein. It needs proteins, it needs protein machines. And so here you have this conundrum, the chicken or the egg, which came first? You had to have the proteins in order for the DNA to produce other proteins. There's so much. Absolutely. It's an incredible subject. If anyone is willing to prove God, you can do so. There is no way under the sun that this could ever happen by chance. It just, it's impossible. And, and I'll just say, go so far as to say this. Anyone who, sa who really knows what's going on and says it happened by chance is lacking a little bit upstairs. They're not thinking right. They are deliberately, you know, they, they are deliberately ignorant. In fact, notice over in Romans, the first chapter. Romans, the first chapter, as it says here in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, this is Romans 1, verse 20, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You know, they are willingly ignorant. Willingly ignorant. And why do we bring this out? Is it to throw stones at people who are just generally really smart people. I mean, for them to figure all this out, they've got to be smart in a, in a physical sense. But why do we bring it out? Because 
you and I are here. And we have to make choices in life. And the question is, do you really believe that God exists? Are you willing to look into it and prove that God exists? Because if God exists, that demands a response from you. In fact, even if you don't believe God exists, there's a response from you, either obey God or don't. But it makes it a little bit easier to obey Him if you know that He's there. But you must also believe that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. There is a reward for those who diligently seek Him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is a reward regarding your marriage? If you keep His commandments that affect marriage. Do you really believe that? And when we look at the laws and commandments of marriage, it isn't just don't commit adultery. But there are laws of forgiveness. Laws of of love and compassion and of kindness. There's so much that's involved there. And yes, it does take two. We understand that. Do you believe that he rewards you for tithing faithfully? Either you do or you don't. Now, when we say, do you believe it, do you believe it enough to do it? That's a choice. And that's a choice that young people can make in early age. You don't have to wait until you're an adult. Do you believe Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 28? Romans 8 and verse 28. This is one of those memorization scriptures. It says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So often we hear people say, well, all things work together for good. You know, somebody goes off and does something really dumb, and we say, well, all things work together for good. Not necessarily. Mr. Meredith made this very clear. It's qualified by all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. But if we go out there and we just neglect God's law and we do whatever we want to do, we can't say all things work together for good. Unless we want to say, well, I guess that teaches somebody a lesson. But hopefully that's not the way we have to learn things. I'd like to recommend several things for you to read. If you have not done so, please read Mr. Smith's booklet, Evolution and Creation, What Both Sides Miss. Very important booklet. And I'll say this, that Mr. Smith struggled with this, and I, we were working together on it and other people. How do you make it technical enough to reach a more sophisticated audience and yet make it simple enough for everybody? So you may read some things there that you don't fully understand, but for the most part, you can understand it. And there's never a, any harm in reading something above your level of comprehension, but I don't think you'll find it that incomprehensible. There's so much powerful information in that booklet. I hope all of you will read that, the, uh, the evolution and creation, what both sides miss. Also, Dr. Nail's booklet on uh, the real God, Proofs and Promises takes it from a very different approach, but every bit is valid. At the Tomorrow's World website, if you just key in in the search engine, evolution, in the search box, you'll find television programs by Mr. Ames, by Mr. Smith, by me. 
uh, certainly the three of us, maybe Mr. McNair as well, that talk about evolution and the shortcomings of it. But you need to know that God exists. And God's existence demands a response, a choice that you must make. You must choose. But you also must believe that he is going to reward you for obedience, as we see there in, some of the, in Romans 8, 28, and if we believe those things. Decisions are based on alternate choices. Decisions are based on choices between alternatives. In Ecclesiastes, the 8th chapter, as it says there, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. We read that earlier. This is the problem, that people look short-sightedly instead of looking in the long run. Now, let's get very practical for a few minutes. We don't have much time left, so let's get very practical. I've already mentioned vaping. Uh, young people, you are going to be tested on that if you haven't already. And some of you have made the choice that you're not going to do it. And others have made the choice to do it. And you might find yourself addicted to it, although you probably never admit that to yourself. Not at first. Oh, I can quit any time I want. Okay, try if you've been involved in that. Um, sex outside of marriage. That is so common today, and it is so destructive to our society. It is destructive to our society. It cheapens something beautiful that God made. God is the author of sex. Now think about that. He made Adam. He made Eve. They were naked, as we always say, naked as a jaybird, but jaybirds have feathers. They didn't have anything. And there they were walking around the garden, and everything was fine until the serpent talked to them, and all of a sudden they said, oh, there's something wrong. We better cover up. Who told you that you were naked? God said to Adam. Who told you that? It's Satan that wants to destroy something beautiful that God has given to us. You know... Sexting is becoming very popular in our world today, where guys, sometimes old men disguising themselves as young people, write to a girl and ask her to send some photos. Now, girls, I hope that hasn't happened to you, but if it has, I hope you responded in an appropriate way, and that is not to send them the picture. Why do you think he wants that? Do you think he's going to get that picture? Uh, you, first of all, do you think he's not going to take a screenshot of it? And is he just going to sit there with it on his shelf someplace, or is he going to show it off to all his friends? Or is he into pornography, and you're the object of his pornographic uh, imagination? Guys, why would you ever do that? to a sister that you respect. I guess I need to talk to the ladies most of all. Ladies, if a guy does that, he doesn't respect you. He doesn't love you, that's for sure. Remember, that was one of the points that Mr. Ames made, is love. Love for one another. 
But no one loves you if they're going to ask you to do something that could harm you or something that is just none of their business. What do you do if somebody does that? Well, you know how to take screenshots. Take a screenshot of the invitation and then show it to your minister. Well, show it to your parents, first of all. And show it to your minister. And they will deal with that as well. Now, guys, let me tell you something here. If you're 18 to 90, and you make that invitation to somebody who's under 18, you have committed a crime. And anybody that knows about it is required, depending on the state, but most states, you will be required by law to report that to the authorities. And then the authorities will take care of that. This is no game. It's no game. But this is the world that you're growing up in. This is what what your friends at school may be doing. These are dangerous things. And they're not games. And I hope that our young ladies will demand respect from the guys. Every once in a while we have somebody who choose a very different way of life. They decide to move in with their girlfriend or their boyfriend. Or they decide to change their sex. I don't know if we've had any of those yet. Or they come out of the closet and they're, you know, they've got some other lifestyle than what we would support. Now, what do we do in cases like that? Do we give them a thumbs up? Hey, way to go! Sure, glad for you, Nancy. I'm not Nancy, I don't know, you know, I hope no Nancy. Is that what we do? Look at Romans, the first chapter. It describes all these sins. Verse 29, Romans 1, 29. Well, let me go to verse 28, because I think that really addresses a lot of it here. It says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. They don't want God in their, their knowledge. In other words, they have rejected even the possibility that God exists even though they have evidence of it. And so he turns them over to a debased mind, a mind that is void of right judgment, to do those things which are not fitting. And then he describes filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness. It goes on with these various behaviors. And then he says in verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Approve of those who practice them. The LGBT community has a lot more letters than that. It's not LGBTQQ2SP. And then it has A at the end and plus. Plus because they haven't figured out how many perversions there are out there. But the A... Uh, it, it, it stands for different things depending on where you are, but uh, one of them is allies. Allies. Those who are supportive of these things. Now, if we love one another, are we going to be supportive of our brother or sister who does something that is, you know, moves in with his girlfriend or uh, comes out of the closet or changes his or her Sex trying to, which never really works. You just mutilate a body. Uh, are we going to be support? Way to go. Boy, that's brave. 
Or are we going to simply say, look, I'm sorry to hear that. I guess we don't have much in common anymore. There's a right way to respond to it in a wrong way. We don't support sin. You know, God is looking to you and to me to make important decisions. Let's look at a few individuals who feared God more than man. Under difficult circumstances, and these are, I'm just going to give you two, or one. Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus, the first chapter. Exodus 1. I'll just give you one. And we'll look at verse 15. It says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was uh, Shifra, and the name of the other was Pua, or Pua. And he said, verse 16, Exodus 1.16. When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birthing stools, uh, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives, notice, feared God. Now here was a command from Pharaoh. To violate a command from Pharaoh would likely be death. But they had a choice. Murder or obedience to God. So they chose to obey God. They feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But they saved the male children alive. And so the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women... Now, it says the the Hebrew midwives, and some take that to mean that the they were Hebrews... Uh, but this indicates they may not have been Hebrews. I mean, they were, they were midwives for the Hebrews because it says, because the Hebrew women, not our women, our wives, our, you know, mothers, but it says, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptians whom they, uh, women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Now, that's about all we read about this, except that it says in verse 20, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. Does that mean houses or families? Either way, you take your pick. You can read the commentaries on it. But the bottom line was that God honored them for it. Did they lie to protect the, uh, you know, the, the, the children of Israel? They did. I suppose that gets into a question of morality. But nevertheless, God honored them because they made the right decision. Do we think that was an easy decision for them to make? I don't think so. I think that was a tough decision. But how many times do we look to that particular example in Scripture? And there are so many others where they made the right decision. Dennis Prager makes an interesting point. He's got a movie out, uh, he and Adam Carolla, 
on No Safe Spaces. It's a documentary. Some of you may have seen it. Interesting movie or documentary. But he says that courage is the most important quality. Now, we, we know the love chapter. We know what the scriptures say. But he's coming perhaps from a little different angle. He says, courage is the most important quality. Everything else flows from it. Without courage, nothing else matters. It takes courage to obey God. We might say faith. It takes faith to obey God, but you have faith, but you've got to have the courage to step out on that, that faith. It tells us in Revelation 21.8, Revelation 21.8, that the cowardly are going to be left out of the kingdom, along with murders and sexually immoral, etc., what did God tell Joshua in Joshua, the first chapter in verse 7? Let's turn over there very quickly. Joshua 1 and verse 7. And it was actually stated several times, but I've chosen this verse for this reason. He says, only be strong, Joshua 1, 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Why? Why did he have to be strong and very courageous? Because he was going to lead armies against other armies? No. He says, uh, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. He told them to not turn to the right hand or left, but to do exactly as he was commanded. And he said that he had to be courageous. Over in uh, the 24th chapter, of Joshua, and my eye doesn't, well, yes, it is, verse 15. He says, If it seems evil to you to serve the eternal... Choose for yourselves. He's telling the children of Israel who he knew were going to go astray eventually. He says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choose whom you will serve. In a sense, you have that choice today. Today you have that choice. You can decide to serve God or you can serve man. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, that's the past, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. In other words, you can serve the gods that have been in your past life, or you can serve the gods that you're going to come across in your future life when you go off to university or whatever it is, the new challenges that are before you. You can choose one or the other. But he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the eternal. He said, you've got to make your choice. Nobody can make that for you. I can't make that for you. Frankly, your parents can't make that for you. They can encourage you. We can encourage you. We love you. We want you to do the right thing because there are blessings for it, and we love to see happy people. We love for people to be happy. But all we can do is make the decision ourselves. And so he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the eternal. Courage is very important at this time in your life. You know, you can change the world. As Dr. Nail mentioned, 12 men changed the world. But actually it was more than 12 because there were 120 that were believers at the end there in Acts, the first chapter. 
And there were 500 people that saw him at once, and so there were a few others. But the bottom line is a small group of people changed the world for the next 2,000 years and beyond. Courage has been important throughout history, in part because there have always been challenging times calling for extraordinary men and women, but also because there have always been moral choices that are involved in those difficult times. Every day you declare by your values and by your actions whether you are courageous or whether you're cowardly. You declare which side you're going to choose, which tree you're going to partake of. I encourage you to declare your courage every day in the choices you make to choose the tree of life.